Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be going over Calvin's Institutes, chapter 18 of book one, in which Calvin argues no mere permission. He has objectors, people who go around saying, oh, God just allows bad things to happen. God doesn't secretly bring about all things to ever happen and force all those things to happen. He just allows us to sin. Sometimes you'll run into Calvinists who'd want to portray Calvinism as teaching that. But to do that, they have to completely ignore what Calvin himself said on the subject. So we will be covering that today. What did Calvin believe about no mere permission? And he takes a very, very strong stance against it. He basically calls people blasphemers and things like that if they don't agree with him on this point. So we'll just cover this. He says, this last chapter of the first book consists of three parts. One. It having been said above that God bends all the reprobate, and even Satan himself, at his will, three objections are started. So he's talking about his uh, inner lucres, the people who are calling him to task. There's three objections that are stated to Calvin's points. First, that this happens by the permission, not by the will of God. No, no, it's not no mere permission. This is the will of God. The sin is the will of God is what Calvin's saying, that this objection is incorrect. To this objection, there is a twofold reply. The one, that angels and men, good and bad, do nothing but what is appointed by God. And the second, that all movements are secretly directed to their end by the hidden inspiration of God. So he says, this is wrong. No, more, no mere permission is incorrect. Instead, everything happens according to the will of God and are moved there secretly by God's hand. God is the cause. God is making these things happen. They, they just don't happen by God allowing these things to happen. God is the instigator. Two, a second objection is that there are two contrary wills in God. If by a secret counsel he decrees what he openly prohibits by his law. This objection refuted, section three. And here's how Calvin responds. So let's fast forward. Their first objection that if nothing happens without the will of God, he must have two contrary wills decreeing by a secret counsel what he has openly forbidden in his law is easily disposed of. But before I reply to it, I would again remind my readers that this cavel is directed not against me, but against the Holy Spirit. Oh, his objectors are not arguing with Calvin. They're arguing with the Holy Spirit. Fantastic. Uh, brilliant. Great, great man of science and theology. Thank you, John Calvin, for that. He follows it up. Nay, when we cannot comprehend how God can will that to be done, which he forbids us to do, let us call to mind in our imbecility and remember that the light in which he dwells is not without cause determined inaccessible. Uh, so he's saying we're infirm, we, we can't understand, you know, we're so below him that uh, we just got to keep that in mind. This is really an appeal to mystery. And he goes through, he doesn't actually prove that uh, God doesn't have two wills. He just exclaims, that sometimes our good intentions don't line up with God's will, so therefore God doesn't have two wills. He doesn't really refute the argument that this makes God duplicitous, that Calvinism makes God the author of confusion. And here's how he ends this. Hence he exclaims, this is Augustine because he relies very heavily on Augustine, 
Great is the work of God, exquisite in all he wills, so that in a manner wondrous and ineffable, oh, we, we just don't know, it just it's magic, that it is not done without his will, which is done contrary to it, because it could not be done if he did not permit, nor does he permit it unwillingly, but willingly, nor would he who is good permit evil to be done, were he not omnipotent to bring out good and evil. This is Augustine. So basically, uh, the argument throughout this section is God only has one will because look at some of the things in the Bible that happened under God's command. And apparently that's ineffably good. We just can't explain it. And so don't say God has two wills. Um, he only got, has that one will. And uh, it might seem bad to us, but we're just so far beneath God that uh, we don't really got a say in it. And uh, we just, he's got one will. Just, just trust us on this. Thank you, Calvin. Okay, third objection is this, that God has made the author of all wickedness when he has said not only to use the agency of the wicked, but also to govern their counsels and affections, and that therefore the wicked are unjustly punished. But let's go to his first section, Calvin's first section, no mere permission. Calvin writes this, from other passages in which God is said to draw or bend Satan himself and all the reprobate to his will, a more difficult question arises. For the carnal mind can scarcely comprehend how, oh, our, our dumb minds, they're, they're so dumb. When acting by their means, he contracts no taint from their impurity. Nay, how in common operation, he is exempt from all guilt and can justly condemn his own ministers. So what he's saying here is we don't understand how God can use the Assyrians to punish Israel and then punish the Assyrians for the Assyrians' uh, infractions against Israel. He's basically calling people who think that God might be wrong uh, for using a foreign nation to punish Israel and then in turn punishing that nation. He's calling people who think that is wrong of God. He's calling them dumb. Uh, no argument. They're just dumb. Hence, a distinction has been invented between doing and permitting because to many it seems altogether inexplicable how Satan and all the wicked are so under the hand and the authority of God that he directs their malice to whatever end he pleases and employs their iniquities to execute his judgments. So like killing a baby, for example, uh, there's, there's people who are in Calvin's circle and Calvin says God makes all these things happen. So God's actually forcing this person to kill this baby. And uh, they say, no, God just permits it. So they're trying to shield God from uh, implication of authorship. And he's calling those people dumb. Those people are dumb. God is the one doing this. Don't try to pass it off as a free will act of someone that God's just allowing to act in order to shield God from culpability. If you invent mechanisms to shield God from culpability because you have some moral repulsion to God killing babies, uh, you're just dumb. That's Calvin's argument. The modesty of those who are thus alarmed at the appearance of absurdity might perhaps be excused. Oh, they, they might have excuse, but guess what? They don't. Did, did they not endeavor to vindicate the justice of God from every semblance of stigma by, by defending an untruth? The mere fact that this is not true makes these people so wicked. What does Paul say? He says, if the glory of God increases due to my lie, you know, that's a great thing. So, But Calvin takes the opposite stance of Paul, that if you're defending God with untruth, you're, you're not excusable. That's a really terrible thing. It seems absurd that man should be blinded by the will and command of God, and yet be forthwith punished for his blindness. Hence, recourse is had to the evasion that is done only by the permission and not by the will of God. 
He himself, however, openly declaring that he does this repudiates the evasion that men do not save at the secret instigation of God and do not discuss and deliberate on anything but what he has previously decreed with himself and brings to pass by his secret direction is proved by numberless clear passages of scripture. Again, this, this is very important, this sentence, that men, because this is his actual theology, he's not representing other people, this is his response to the people who say that God just allows things to happen. That men do nothing save at the secret instigation of God and do not discuss and deliberate on anything but what he has previously decreed with himself and brings to pass by his secret direction is proved by numberless clear passages of scripture. What we formally quoted from the Psalms to the effect that he does whatever pleases him. Psalms 115.3. So God does whatever pleases him. Therefore, God makes people kill babies and does everything. That there's, there's no rogue atoms. That's apparently what Psalms 115.3 means to Calvin. This is his proof text. You read that. God does whatever he pleases. I know if my kids do whatever they please, that means they control all things. They control some guy in China. If my kids do whatever they please and uh, they control like things in the ocean, like in the deep dark ocean that they've never been to, never seen. Uh, pe people have never been to this part of the ocean. But if my kids do whatever they please... They're controlling those things down there. Thank you, John Calvin. Brilliant, brilliant theologian. He's actually pretty good. He just, uh, he wants to force his theology. He, he really wants his theology to be true. And so his proof texts take on such broad implications that are, that are not apparent in the text, that are totally outside the realm of what a normal reader would take from those texts. And, and you see this, you see this in, in what is it, the Sonny Hernandez debate the Sonny Hernandez debate with uh, Kevin Thompson, in which Sonny does this all the time. He'll grab God doing something, and he'll say, see, God does everything. If, if God has power, if God does what he wants, that means God does everything. And they're very emphatic about it. It's, it's not good biblical scholarship. It's not even good reading comprehension skills. It's just, just completely nuts, completely nuts. And uh, it appears they do get that from Calvin. Calvin was completely nuts on the same points of contention. We'll keep reading. His proof texting is atrocious. If God is the arbitrator of peace and war, as it is said there, and without any exception, who will venture to say that men are born along at random with blind impulse while he is unconscious or questioned? So what he's saying is that uh, if God does wars, like if God directs nations to cause wars, then God also causes the different soldiers to cough at different times, and he controls their bowel movements, uh, when they go to the bathroom, how much they go to the bathroom. Usually, uh, when, when, you, when you think about things like that, usually it would go the other way. That if someone's controlling macro events, you don't assume that they're controlling micro events. Uh, they might be controlling more macro events, uh, but uh, your assumptions go in the other direction than, than Calvin is laying out here. If God controls nations and wars, uh, he might control uh, movements, uh, how long these kingdoms last, these macro events. We don't get from that that he's controlling every single grasshopper, right? That's, that's, that's not a valid conclusion from God controls armies, the rising and falling of nations. Not a valid conclusion. For example, let's say someone's arguing that the government should control what toothpaste we use. 
They'll say, oh, you allow them to uh, prosecute murder, but you don't want them to control which toothpaste you use? Yeah, you don't want them micromanaging. Uh, you want them controlling the major things and then staying out of everything else. Their, their ability to regulate murder shouldn't uh, be construed as the ability to regulate our day-to-day -day lives. Maybe things worse than murder, maybe gang violence, uh, intertribal warfare might be in their prerogative, but you don't go the other way. Calvin's got his uh, directions uh, screwed up in his mind. Uh, he thinks that uh, if God controls nations, God controls diarrhea. That, that's, that's the wrong way to go about it. You got to go the other way. But the matter will be made clear by special examples. Oh, anecdotal evidence. And so what they like to do is they like to extrapolate from anecdotal evidence. If God does one thing, then God does everything. This is, this is a common problem in Calvinism. Go watch the Sonny Hernandez-Thompson uh, debate. Kevin Thompson points this out, that that's all Sonny does. Sonny looks at God doing one thing and then just declares God does everything. It's his absolute terrible theology. From the first chapter of Job, we learn that Satan appears in the presence of God to receive his orders, as do the angels who obey spontaneously. Job 1, 6, 2, 7. It sounds like they have individual volition. It sounds like they could reject God. It doesn't sound like God's controlling all things in those verses, but I guess those are proof texts somehow. The manner and end are different, but still the fact is that he cannot attempt anything without the will of God. It sounds actually the exact opposite. When the Satan approaches God, God asks him, what have you been doing? <laughs> and he says, oh, I've been running around the earth and, and looking at people and, you know, testing people. That's what the adversary does. He says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's querying him for information. And then, uh, then they get in this divine bet thing. This is the exact opposite of what Calvin's trying to prove here. So that's the funny thing. They, they don't believe their own proof text. They don't believe that God is getting in a bet about the future with one of his creations, with, with an angel, basically, that the two are wagering on the outcome of a future event. That, that there's a divine back and forth. There's a give and take. God is gaining information in this passage. But apparently this is proof that God controls everything. Thank you, John Calvin. The manner and end are different, but still the fact is that he cannot attempt anything without the will of God. But, though afterwards his power to afflict the saint seems only to be a bare permission, yet, as the sentiment is true, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. As it has pleased the Lord, so has it been done. We infer that God was the author of that trial of which Satan and the wicked robbers were merely the instruments. God was the author. So he's saying God's the author of this, and I would not disagree, but it does not follow from that that God's the author of everything. There's a purpose to this. We learn about the purpose. It's a divine purpose to see if Job will remain faithful, and we don't gain from the story that God already knows the end, how this is going to turn out, and it's debatable whether it turned out in God's favor or not. It's hard to know. It's hard to know, reading the story, if God won the bet. God's learning information. God, God's doing a test to see things about the future. This is not Calvinism. So we're going to scroll down to a section two. How does God's impulse come to pass in men? With regards to the secret movements, what Solomon says of the heart of a king, that it is turned hither and thither that God sees meet. Proverbs 21.1. 1. 
Certainly it applies to the whole human race and has the same force as if he had said that whatever we conceive in our mind is directed to its end by its secret inspiration of God. We got an ortitudinal problem again. Uh, Calvin seems to think that if God controls kings, if God controls nations, then he micromanages our diarrhea. That's the wrong direction. If uh, it's stated that God micromanages every person's diarrhea, then you could assume that he might uh, micromanage more macro events. But uh, important people, the control of nations, the rise and fall of nations, those are big things. Those are things on the world stage that actually matter. FDR trying to uh, have a Yalta Accord in order to affect some national policy and direct the world through a world war. Um, assuming that he does that, that doesn't mean that FDR micromanages our diarrhea. This is ordinarily incorrect in Calvin's mind. He, 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 it, it's almost like he's lost all basic reasoning skills because he wants his theology to be true. If God directs the minds of kings, then he directs the minds of peasants, apparently. He directs our diarrhea outtake. This, this is bad theology. It's, it's not rational. And it's very forced into the text. And let's note the absolutist language that Calvin implies. If God directs the hearts of kings, that means in everything the king does. If the king wants like two scoops of ice cream instead of one, that's God. God's, God's directing him to want those two scoops rather than just the major decisions that affect the nation. Right? So Calvin, he goes all the way to the wall, uh, foot, foot to the pedal, pedal to the floor, all the way, high speed, 100%, God controls everything in a king's mind because the Bible says that uh, God controls the heart of a king, that God steers, steers the heart of a king. Therefore, God decides how much ice cream that king wants. Th this, is, this is bad reading. This is uh, bad theology. It's just not present in the text, in his proof text that he's trying to use to prove these concepts. He gives a lot of other examples of God doing things, God convincing people. It, it, if God has to convince people, is Calvinism true? Or is that just the default, that uh, God controls everyone's desires, how much ice cream that they want? Why does the Bible even have to state it like this, that God has to take these specific actions at these uh, specific points of time to these specific people? The point that these are exceptional enough to be pointed out in the text is evidence against Calvinism, but he wants to generalize them and just force them into the rest of the Bible. Even when people are doing things that God laments against, he'll say, oh no, those were the secret will of God. Didn't you see this other verse over here where God controls the hearts of kings? So over here, when this king's doing something that, that God uh, takes great offense at, maybe he's uh, regretting his own decision and making Saul king, right? Remember that? Oh, no, that's that's not real. You have to go read this other verse about God directing the hearts of kings. So so outwardly, it might look like he violated God's will, but secretly he's actually fulfilling. Saul is fulfilling God's will and God's lament is just an act. Calvin writes this. The sum of the whole is this. Since the will of God is said to be the cause of all things, is it? And all the counsels and actions of men must be held and be governed by his providence so that he not only exerts his power in the elect who are guided by the Holy Spirit, but also forces the reprobate to do him service. My kids do whatever they want. Apparently they control your diarrhea outtake. Fantastic. Thank you for your wisdom, Calvin. We're going to skip three. We already went over three, kind of skipped there, but 
will jump to four. Even when God uses the deeds of the godless for his purposes, he does not suffer a reproach. We can't criticize God. If God is using wicked people to do wicked things, it's for his glory, it's for a greater good, it's for God's secret goodwill, and if our good wills conflict with God, then our wills are in the wrong. This is what he writes previously. In the same way as solved, or rather spontaneously vanishes, another objection. Oh, my, my objectors, they don't actually have objections. Those objections just go away. They just vanish. If God not only uses the agency of the wicked, but also governs their counsels and affections, he is the author of all their sins, and therefore men, in executing what God has decreed, are unjustly condemned because they are obeying his will. This is the objection that he's going to refute. So skipping down to Calvin's conclusion, of course, he relies heavily on Augustine. Again, if I mistake not, I have already shown clearly how the same act at once betrays the guilt of man and manifests in the righteousness of God. Modest minds will always be satisfied with Augustine's answer. Since the Father delivered up the Son, Christ his own body, and Judas his master, how in such a case is God just and man guilty? But just because in the one act which they did, the reasons for which they did it are different. If any are not perfectly satisfied with this explanation that there is no concurrence between God and man, when by his righteousness impulse man does what he ought not do, let them give heed to what Augustine elsewhere observes. Who can refrain from trembling at those judgments when God does according to his pleasures, even in the hearts of the wicked, at the same time rendering them according to their deeds. He's saying they might be doing the same action, they might be killing the same baby, but because their motivations are different, that makes one right and one wrong. This, this is their answer, that motivations, not actions, are what counts, which seems to be the opposite message of most of the Bible until we might get to the New Testament and there might be some quote-unquote thought crimes introduced, but actions tend to rank higher than thoughts or motivations throughout the Bible. In, in my experience, in reading the Bible, actions are what matters. But to Calvin, motivations are what matters because God could be raping babies all day long, but if his motivations are good, uh, whatever those motivations are, those secret motivations, then God is not to blame especially for the actions of the wicked. And the wicked are to blame for the actions of the wicked, even though it's the same act that God does that they do. No mere permission. God does these acts. God is the author of these acts, as Calvin writes. Calvin writes that God is the author. I'm going to end with this. This is his last paragraph. To those whom this seems harsh had better consider how far their capriciousness is entitled to any toleration while on the ground of its exceeding their capacity, they reject a matter which is clearly taught by Scripture. Typically, when people say things are clearly taught by Scripture, absolutely not. God directs the hearts of kings. That means God controls our diarrhea outflow. Uh, brilliant thinking. Thank you, Calvin. This whole section is worth reading. Uh, just go through it and read what Calvin actually believed by no mere permission. God does everything. God's the author of everything. God directs everything. Nothing happens save by the secret instigation and carrying out of God. This is Calvinism. This is Calvin, what he writes, no mere permission. The people who say that God merely permits things, uh, those guys are basically blasphemers. Uh, they're they're uh, defaming God in the mind of Calvin 
They're, they're the bad people to Calvin. It's not Calvinism. And don't let people claim that it is Calvinism because it is not. Anyways, comments, questions, put them below. Thank you for listening. Thank <laughs> you.